This is our second to last sermon in the book of Mark. It's been a really good journey throughout the summer. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from the different voices on our pastoral team as we've journeyed through this gospel of Mark. So today we go into Mark chapter 13. And next Sabbath, Pastor Nick will share the very last message on this Gospel of Mark. And I can't wait to tell you where we're going with this fall. But before we get into the message for today, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Oh God, Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Comfort us and convict us. We place ourselves in your hands, trusting your faithfulness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Christians today are asking the same question the disciples asked of Jesus when he walked with them. They're asking this question, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? When they heard Jesus talking about this time of the end, they said, Jesus, Tell us when this will be. Jesus, give us the, the, the notes on this one. Give us the cliff notes. Give us the crib sheet. Give us something so that we know blow by blow what's going to happen. Let us know. And I think the disciples of today many times wonder the same thing. God, would you let me know? Would you let me know what's going to happen in my own life? Would you let me know what's going to happen in the world? Because it's hard sometimes. In spite of Jesus' answer and his disclaimer that he gives in the passage that we're looking at today, many have still gone ahead to say that they've decoded the mystery and they share timing and estimations and results in, in, in looking forward to the second coming. What's clear in this passage is that the call and the hope of the second coming is not so much about knowing the date, or even being able to decode the signs as they happen around us, but hope to make it through adversity because we understand how we must wait and what it looks like to do so. We don't have a corner on the market on chaos. Many of you have mentioned to me that your heart has been grieved as you've looked at what's happened in the world right now and in our nation right now as we approach November, that even you've been disappointed at, at Christians and Adventist Christians with how we show up in the world. Listen to Tacitus, a man that wrote about the time that Mark wrote. Hear his rueful description of that time frame. The history on which I'm entering is that of a per period rich in disasters terrible with battles, torn by civil struggles, horrible even in peace. Four emperors fell by the sword, there were three civil wars, more foreign wars, and often both at the same time. Italy was distressed by disasters unknown before or returning after the lapse of the ages. Beside the manifold misfortunes that befell mankind, there were prodigies in the sky and on earth, warnings given by thunderbolts and prophecies of the future, both joyful and gloomy, uncertain and unclear. That's the time frame. That's what they were facing. That's what they were experiencing, especially when Jesus wrote about this destruction of the temple. Now, 
you know that when Jesus talks about the time of the end, there is the destruction of the temple spoken of and the time of the very end before Jesus comes for a second time. And Jesus gives hope to his followers at that time for what is coming and how God can give them hope in the midst of it. And he also gives us hope in the midst of our own chaos, our own challenges, saying, you know where I am in the midst of this. Mark wrote his gospel at a time when the world was falling apart, particularly with Jewish Christians, they felt this acutely. Jesus' words served as warning and guide, making sense of what was happening around them. Let's turn to our passage for today. We could easily read the whole chapter, but we pick it up here in this section. It's in a section entitled, The Destruction of the Temple and the Signs of the End Times. We are starting together in verse 24 and going through the end of the chapter. It says, but in those days, following the distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give its light, will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather the elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson of the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. We're back to that fig tree. If you heard when we were together when I was preaching a couple weeks ago, we're back to this fig tree here. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then Jesus, this is all in red, this is his instructions to the disciples, Jesus ends with this parable. It's this day and the hour unknown in this parable here. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Could he be more clear than this? Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come, but it's like a man going away. And here's the parable. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells one to keep at the door watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. These are the words of Jesus. Now you can go back and read the whole chapter to understand the entire context, but Jesus starts our section with these words, but in those days following the distress. In those days after the destruction of the temple, after the very center of their life and spirituality, community and connection, after this is destroyed, after the very thing that you believe is immovable and unshakable as a centerpiece in your life, after that is torn down, Jesus says, hear these words. This is what's going to happen. The hope in Jesus is what allows believers to make it through all that they were facing, to endure the affliction that they're going through. They're able to look and see and hear what Jesus is saying, and it's this which buoys them up in the midst of it. 
For some of us, I don't have to go any further. That very thing that was a center point of your life, the church community, that has shifted and changed. You are not able to participate and interact or the very other parts of your life, school and work and the ways that we interacted together, those things that you thought were immovable. Now suddenly, wondering what this looks like. How long after the distress is the second coming of Jesus, how long will it take between what Jesus said after the distress and when we see the Son of Man coming in glory? Jesus, intentionally, I believe, leaves us without all the information. One commentator says it this way, the ambiguity is deliberate and Jesus does not intend for us to try and unravel it. Otherwise, he would have given us more definite clues. Another commentator says, Jesus did not intend to remove the veil of secrecy surrounding the timing of the end for his disciples when they asked him. We should not try to do so either. Many are asking that even now, and I can see COVID-19 being included in a seminar on the time of the end. So many things of this time. Isn't it true? The destruction and the pain and the chaos and the polarization, it all sounds a bit like a revelation seminar, doesn't it? But that doesn't mean that we're meant to start forecasting when the time of the end should be. Jesus' instructions to the disciples were not so that they could know when, but that they should know how they are to wait. Notice what Jesus says. You look around and you see what's happening. You see that the end is certain because you see what's happening on the earth. All of creation is growing. It's clear to all of us. Don't you feel like that's true right now? Earthquakes and tornadoes, the challenge and the struggle, all creation is groaning. With the issues of social injustice that are just happening again and again, creation is groaning. We find ourselves in pain. There are no secret appearances of Jesus, as early in the chapter testifies. There's nothing that you have to be worried about missing. We will know when he returns. We see it around us. We will know when it happens. What does it mean for us as we live in the midst of this situation for us to anticipate the arrival of God here? Exactly where we are right now. For the disciples who first heard this, Jesus was telling them that the destruction of the temple was going to happen. As they were there, they saw so much hurting, the destruction around them. You can believe that they longed for something better. They longed for something different than what they were in right then. They longed for a better land. I'd like to explore the difference for a moment of how we look forward to the second coming of Jesus. And you might have heard someone say this, or you said this yourself, the world is messed up. I want to get out of here. I can't wait for Jesus to return. Or man, things are messed up. I can't wait for Jesus to return. There's a difference between that message and the message that when we look around in pain, we say, I'm eager for change. I can't wait to see Jesus come. The world is messed up and I'm looking for how God can be present here, even in the midst of this. This is the gospel. This is the gospel being preached around the whole world because the gospel at the core is good news. Good news for all people. 
The arrival of Jesus into this world gives us hope and a way out. The news is that there's never a person, never a situation that is beyond the reach of God, and that is good news. There is never something that we can face together as a community, as a country, as a planet, that God is not able to reach down and rescue and give us hope. That gospel changes the way that I show up in this world as I await the arrival of Jesus for the second time. This reading of this word and praying and talking with God leads me to show up differently in the world. When you say you're waiting for Jesus' return, what do you mean? When you say I'm anticipating the return of Jesus, what is it that you mean by that statement? What does the anticipation of God mean in a non-passive sense? Does waiting just mean twiddling my thumbs and waiting around? Catching up on a good book while I wait for someone to come back or wait for my car to be fixed or wait for my food to arrive? What does waiting really mean? You see, the arrival of God, the advent, is our hope. It is not our escape pod. If I can just make it to the second coming of Jesus, oh, if I can just make it to the escape pod. There's a difference between that and what Jesus portrays to us. Clearly, <laughs> clearly this word from the master is not about doing nothing while we wait. Listen to verse 34. It says, it's like a man going away he leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with an assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. In this parable, Jesus says that the master leaves the servants in the house. In the house. The world is the house of God, the master's house, the place where we are left to await the master's return. And he assigns each one a task, and he tells them, to watch. The master's house is here. We have been left here on this earth as servants of God. Jesus' return is to this world where we all have a task to do while we wait. Watching for the master means each of us doing our assigned task, looking for what the master would do here while we wait for the master to return. Let me make sure that you get this, because it changes everything with how we view the, this second coming. You see, waiting for the master means each of us doing our assigned task, looking for what the master would do in this world as we wait for the master to return. To watch means that we have hope. Hope that isn't foreclosed on the world. Hope that's active in the world. Hope that hasn't given up on hope for all people. We don't give up on change. We don't give up on transformation. We don't give up on hope. Why? Because Jesus is coming now and in the future. We await the rescuer and we are part of the act of rescuing here while we do. In a Jules Pfeiffer cartoon, there's this picture of a man looking up to the sky when another man comes along and he asks him what he's doing. He responds, I'm waiting for him to come back. That's what I'm doing. The other one responds and says, but, but that's silly. Jesus won't come back from up there. 
You can find him in ordinary life, in loving your neighbor, doing good to those who hate you, and in suffering for the truth. The other man replies, did you say suffering for the truth? And the last picture of this cartoon shows both of them looking up into the sky. And the first man now says, I find this position more comfortable. It might feel more comfortable. Sit, watch, wait. The call to watch, though, is for us to be faithful under pressure. Just like those first Christians, the Christians who lived in the time of Mark, they were able to make it through what they went through because of the hope that Jesus had given them. It's called to be faithful under pressure, to show up and act as the master would act with the tasks that we have been assigned and gifted for. This takes work, far more work than escapist theologies or theology that focus on having the right understanding of a timeline. It is the very call of God to be active and present in the world as we wait his coming. I read a beautiful quote from a preacher, Charles Spurgeon, this last week, talking about this very hope of the second coming. The reason the second coming brings me such joy and such hope is some of what he's talking about right here. He says, they weep no more because all fear of change is past. They know that they are eternally secure. Sin is shut out and the people of God are shut in. They dwell within the city which shall never be stormed. They bask in a sun which will never set. They drink of a river which will never run dry. They pick fruit from a tree which will never wither. Countless cycles may revolve, but eternity shall not be exhausted. And while eternity endures, their immortality and blessedness shall coexist with it. They are forever with the Lord. That's what we have to look forward to. These words are true. This picture is true. This coming of Jesus is real and anticipated. And it's that very picture of Jesus and the hope that we have in him that changes my life that allows me to show up in the world asking, what is my task? What can I faithfully do in the master's house until he returns? Because here we are in the master's house watching for him to return. When Caleb and I did a half marathon in San Diego, we were gonna do another one by the way in May, but you know, postponed, canceled due to the fact that we were in quarantine with a pandemic. But the only other one that we have done was in San Diego and there were so many people that came out and lined the streets. It was awesome because it was early in the morning. Nanette has far more stories about this, but she tells me of which marathons and, and half marathons have the best crowds. If you haven't talked to Nanette, our office manager, she's super amazing and runs all the time. But the crowd gives you life and energy and on this day, it was early in the morning, but people had come out and they were sitting at the road and, and on their street and they had bells and noisemakers and they had signs. And there's this one sign that said, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Maybe you've seen that sign before. It reminds us today that we are not in this for the easy way. We are running for a prize that is worth it worth the sweat, worth the struggle, and worth the sharing.
The baton was passed from John the Baptist to Jesus and Jesus to his disciples and his disciples to us. Azure Hills Church, we are running this leg of the race. We don't know if it's the last leg or not. It shouldn't make any difference to us with how we run. Knowing that doesn't mean this race would be run any differently. If you knew that the last day on earth was tomorrow, it shouldn't change how we run what we have been given to run. What does it look like to be faithful to run our part of the race today? Running in this race requires giving our all. Is it easy, friends? No. But we can do this by God's grace. You can lean into the arrival of God. You can watch faithful under pressure. You can look at where your task is, where you are called to be involved and to serve. One of those very ways that we are strengthened while we wait and we are strengthened in our service in the world is through small groups, through community. We're hurting right now. The world is going through so much. Many in our church even, we're longing for deeper community because the spaces that we normally were, I'm pointing at empty pews, the spaces that we normally were, the spaces we would gather, we can't be in in the same way. We're longing for depth of community or maybe through all of this, your own soul is feeling a bit dry. Your connection with God and with other people is, is, is weakened. You want to strengthen, you want to put yourself in a place for transformation. I encourage you to join one of the small groups that is starting this fall. There's so many different small groups that you can be a part of. There's one in particular that I talked about at the beginning. Pastor Mike is leading out in this. It's 12 People You Love by Roy Ice. It's a great book. This book that is incredible and allows us to show up in the world and love other people well while we wait for the second coming of Jesus. I encourage you to take the next step. Whether it's joining Pastor Mike's small group or whether it's joining one of the other groups with the 12 people you love or, or joining the discipleship group that I'll be starting in September or joining one of the many other small groups that are taking place this fall, put yourself in a place where you can be changed by the experience with God and other people. On our, on our website, you can see that you can join small groups from the homepage. Just click sign up here and you will be directed to a small group. Who knows? This will be the thing that will help to bring change in your life, it, how it will bring what you might be needing exactly right now. We are called actively to live in the Father's house, watching for what the Master would do as we await the Master's return. Friends, this is our time to run. This is our time to run our part of the race. Is it the last? Only God knows. Jesus said himself, only God knows. We can feel it, we see it coming, but only God knows. But it shouldn't make a difference with how I run, with how you run.